This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And please join the club, which is YomTovMediaClub.com. Go online and uh, join our club and help us get the word out as powerfully as possible to as many people as possible in this kind of starving, spiritually starving generation. So what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes, this won't be a very long class, is just how to maintain momentum. It deserves a lot of time, but I don't know, um, whatever, how much, I don't know how much time we'll give it. But what happens is people take on, first of all, there are people who are raised to do uh, the commandments, and there's those who are not raised to do the commandments. And, and the question was actually posed by a, a uh, dear student of mine that was... Um, was if you weren't raised with that kind of momentum in your commandments and then you take them on, but you're not getting the, you're not getting the, the, uh, you know, the connection that it was, you feel it was meant to have to begin with, if you're not getting that connection, so how do you carry on? How do you carry on in that? And so there, there's many ways to, to slice up this issue, and, but I'd like to, I always try to keep it practical. And one of the one of the things to do is to get even more committed. Now I know that sounds crazy because how are you supposed to get more committed when you're like I did commit to it. And but the truth is, is how committed are you if you even have that question? You understand? The question itself means that that I'm not that committed. And what would I base my true commitment on? Like a real strong commitment on? I would base it on the because what's a real commitment? A real commitment is taking the downside with the upside. That's a real commitment, like marriage. You know, you, it's a deep down, strong, ironclad commitment. You know, it comes with a contract. It's it's you know, it's a heavy commitment. And what you're ultimately saying is, I'm willing to take the downside of marrying this person with all the upside. And and so there there is a pretty big downside to taking on commandments. And what that is, is one of the things that's the downside is there's a great quantity of them. There's a lot of things you can take on and you can take them on in a matter of a short time. Next thing you know, you have a pretty big yoke that you're carrying around with you. And and who says you're going to feel a thing as a result of them? Now, would you have taken them on if you knew you weren't going to feel anything? Probably not. So maybe it's important that there is an incentive that I might feel something as a result of my taking this stuff on. Well, there's something that I think that we all did take on, I mean, that we did get for sure, that we often discount because we don't see it. It's invisible. And that is existential angst, which is one of the main sources of depression. And today, unfortunately, is one of the main sources of the increasing rate of suicide is existential angst, meaning, meaning meaninglessness. Because when someone's living a life of Torah and mitzvahs, yeah, you may not feel very high from lighting candles Friday. Or, and, you know, praying may not, like, really, you know, you know, do so much for you when you pray one of our prayers or whatever, or make one of our blessings. But one thing's for sure is you've been saved from an entire population of people who are, who are suffering the meaninglessness of this kind of nihilistic, millennial you know, angst that people have, this meaninglessness. So you, you're certainly getting that. And that's not to be discounted. It doesn't hit you in the face. You don't feel it so much. It's not something that's like gets you high. But it is a major thing. And I've seen people drop Torah because they weren't getting their bang for the buck. They felt that they had been ripped off. They'd rather, I don't know what, do something that gives them more of an immediacy of uh, experience. 
and inspiration, and drop their Judaism only to find themselves deeply depressed, you know, half a year, a year later, deeply depressed, and not really feeling there's a way back for them, and not even really recognizing that, that they had lost that meaning and has left them in that depressed place. Make a bracha boch ata Anyway, but meaning in life and um, and well being are directly correlated. Meaning in life and well being are directly correlated, and and they're also, um, but they're often discounted because because when you have meaning in life, it goes invisible quite kind of quickly. Because you got to deal with like everyone else, you got to deal with the vicissitudes of life. You got to deal with the ups and downs. You still got bills to pay. You know, just because you got meaning in life doesn't mean you know you no longer have to. Uh, you know, pay your electrical bill. So you, you forget. It goes invisible really quick. Now, as far as gaining momentum on the immediacy, of, in immediacy, like the, the actual commandments that you did take on, and I've said this a lot of times, but I'll say it again, is, is slow it down. Slow it down. Slow yourself down. Uh, get into a meditative state before you do your commandments. Like last night, for example, my custom, last night I was, I was at a restaurant called Crave, which is the coolest restaurant in town. And I was having the house beer. And, uh, and the only thing that someone like me would eat in a restaurant that doesn't have, like, the highest level kashrut, you know, kosher certification, is eating, a, I ate a fish burrito. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, like, you could bet a million dollars I would not order a fish burrito except in this situation. So I ordered the fish burrito where, like, what could go wrong? And, uh, but the, my main thing I was eating was... Uh, were drinking was the house beer, which was an IPA and uh, an Indian pale ale. So I made my bracha for probably two minutes long. Literally, Baruch was And this is what I did. And I was actually, I was with newlyweds. It was, I was coming to say Mazel Tov to them. They were in Jerusalem. And so I came to say Mazel Tov to these newlyweds. And they ordered me this beer and the fish burrito. And, and so I made this bracha like this, which is my bracha on craft beer. And that is the bracha on craft beer. And the reason why I go really big on a bracha over craft beer is because beer is how we know God loves us. Meaning anything else in the world that... Is any, I mean, obviously, the Swiss Alps is a good indication how God feels about the world. But there's something about the way a craft beer hits your taste buds. You know, and it's just an explosion, explosion of experience. And I still don't know what was higher, the bracha or the taste of the beer. And, and then after I finish my taste, which is a large taste, you always wine and beer are different. Your first taste when you have a, a craft beer is you, you really take in a gulp. You know, really kind of let it be a full mouth experience. And, and the, when I finished that, I, my comment, which I'd never said before, but I looked at this couple and I said, liquid God. <laughs> now, the only reason, by the way, that's a, the story is basically over, but the only reason I'm telling you this long story about a bracha last night is because what did I do there? I... 
What'd I do there? What'd I do there with a bracha that I could have just said, like, like I said on this water, which like almost wasn't even a bracha compared to that. What did I do there? I thank you. Say it loud. I got a real student here. Everyone say it together. Slowed it down together. Slowed it down. I slowed it down. So if you want to keep momentum in the things you're doing, you got to slow it down. You know, you imagine, you imagine like some like meditative Vipassana Indian dude, like watching us do most of our mitzvahs. They'd just be like, like of all the mindless experiences, you know, like the way you do your mitzvahs is mindless as opposed to mindful. So, so, you know, you can't, if you're Jewish from the 3,330 year tribe of Israel, you can't be, you can't show up. You know, on video, lower than than a than a Hindu. You understand? I mean, they have a powerful tradition, but it's not prophetic. We're coming from a prophetic tradition that that puts us automatically like like <laughs> there's no actual number, but it's like whatever that infinite number would be times the depth of a a Hindu like like Brahmin priest. Just by being like the average Jew who like can barely pronounce Hebrew already puts you like, you know, like, because again, it's prophecy. So it doesn't even, it's not even going to have an equivalency of how deep you are. So, so we've got to match that depth with our observance. And that I'm just calling slow it down. Just slow it down. Slow it down. Take it slow. And you'll be shocked how that simple thing of slowing it down. Now, I'm not saying you've got to slow everything down, but slow something down during the day. It could be just a bite of an apple, but slow it down. Slow down that bracha. Candlelighting. You know, that's where women generally, like, that's where they shed their tears during the week. If they didn't cry already in prayer that week, candlelighting is where they're going to. And that's where you really, you kind of reserve the major cries for the candlelighting of, you know, really pleading with the, you know, the things you need, that's when a woman's going to shed tears. And, and so you definitely want to slow that down and make sure the tears are coming. And, and uh, you know, that's your special moment. That's when like, the spotlight in heaven is just like on you and it's your chance to say what you got to say and ask for what you got to ask for and give thanks for what you got to give thanks for. And so anyway, that's one way to keep the momentum going is, is to slow it down. Another thing is to study the particular commandment. You want to you want to get more details on that commandment. Commandments generally have a lot to study, so so you want to study into that particular mitzvah that you're doing. Um, learn learn it up in a big way. Um, another thing is um, another thing is to interview people who have the the goods on that particular commandment. So interview people. I've had many people walk up to me and say, you know, ever since I heard you teach about whatever, you know, like uh, hair covering or whatever. I, I recently did a class in hair covering. And you watched that one? Yeah. Did you actually comment on that? Yeah. So the, so, and it just made like this massive impact on people. And, and so meaning the command in it, the commandments cover the hair, but that could be pretty mundane. But when you get into the depth of it, it could become very magical for a person and, and be 
life-changing. So, so that's the other thing is, is you need to hear someone orally, like share stuff that you're just not necessarily going to find in a book. Um, someone who has the depth on that particular, that particular commandment. Um, I want to go back though to commitment because remember I said I started to attack like that, but the but I had asked like the only reason you could possibly ask that question is meaning the question of like I'm not really getting out of this these these commitments I've taken on I'm not really getting out of them what I hope for and so I'm losing momentum is that. The fact that you even asked the question means you weren't that committed to begin with. Now you say, what do you mean I wasn't that committed? I've been doing it ever since I said I would. It's okay, but commitment has many, many levels. Many levels. Um, I've told this story uh, maybe half a year ago. I've only told it a few times. But but many years ago, I I committed to pray three times a day. I don't know, close to three decades ago. But uh, around 20, I don't know, 25 years ago, something like that, maybe already 23 years ago, um, God turned out the lights. Like, he just pulled the plug on the whole commitment of prayer. Meaning that commitment I made of prayer, uh, whatever I was getting out of it, and you get a lot out of prayer, because prayer is the emotional, you know. Study is the intellectual, prayer is the emotional, and mitzvahs are the physical. You know, that's how it goes. Okay, when you study Torah, you're in the brain, when you're praying, you're in the heart, and when you're performing a commandment, you're in the body, which is really amazing because a lot of commandments have um, great intellectual material behind them. Most commandments come with a blessing, so there's prayer involved, and you then do something with your body. So it's really hitting you on all three modalities of humanity, human existence. And the anyway, but what happened was God messed with me God was messing with me, and he took the, he pulled the plug on prayer, and I felt nothing, absolutely nothing. Felt nothing in wearing my tefillin. I felt nothing, no matter where I went. Didn't matter if it was the Kotel. Didn't matter if it was at Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's grave. I could go down to Chevron to the forefathers and where they're buried. I, it didn't matter where I was. Um, it didn't matter what prayer I said. Every single thing I said had it came with zero feeling like I got nothing I, I couldn't I tried I did a million different things to try to break through it nothing worked and I was really at my end because like it's a pretty big commitment to pray three times a day especially in, in prayer quorums called minions like that's it's a pretty big commitment and and I had been doing it with no to no avail anyway when I hit about the ninth month of this I was walking down my street and I was just so down. And, and I run into one of the great prayer masters, who's the student of one of the great prayer masters. He's an Amshan of Chassid, who's the student of an Amshan of Chassid, of the Amshan of a Rebbe, who lives in my neighborhood in Nachlaut. And this, um, this prayer, you know, he's, he's pretty much one of the prayer masters, this guy. He's a big prayer master. You should, you should really watch him pray. He's, uh, I'm sure you've prayed with him in many minions before in our neighborhood. I don't know if you know which one's Rav Lichtenstein, but um, you've seen him dozens of times, like yearly. Anyway, he, um, I ran into him, I said, you know what, I'm going to go up to him and just tell him my plight. I mean, I'd already spoken to many Rebbe's and stuff, so I go up to Rav Lichtenstein and I say to him, you know, I'm desperate. I've been praying for nine months, three times a day, nothing's going. Like, it just nothing. I get nothing out of it, no matter where, no matter what, nothing. 
And you know what he says to me? He says to me, I'm jealous of you. And I said, what do you mean you're jealous of me? He says, he says, well, when I pray, you know, it's like fireworks. Fireworks are going off. And, and so, you know, obviously I'm really into prayer. He says, but I just, I wouldn't even know what it would be like, but I'm jealous of someone who for nine months straight is so committed to it that, that you know, even with nothing doing, like get nothing out of it, you're going to keep going like that. So I'm jealous. I just, I never would know what that would be like because I'm just, I'm, I've always been locked into prayer, like since I'm a little kid. Like I'm born for this. I'm born into prayer. And there's a lot of people I've met over the years who are born into prayer. I met people who are born to learn Torah, met people born to prayer, and I've known people who are born just to do physical mitzvahs, you know. Those were those guys like boiling our veg, our vessels before Pesach. Like, you ever thought about like, what the hell is that guy doing there all day? You know, <laughs> doesn't he have a life? You know, doesn't he have other things to do besides that menial task of boiling our vessels? And no, that's his mitzvah. Like, he's going to wear those big, thick rubber, rubber gloves and boil our pots and pans and silverware, and and like he's he's right in the zone. That guy, he's loving it, you know. And so he's a, more of a mitzvah guy. So. So you know what I did? I went down to the hotel for Mari for the evening service after that. And I just wanted to say to God, I had something I wanted to say to God, and I decided to take it to the hotel. So I went down to the hotel. And I said to God the following. I said, God, I don't care if I ever feel another prayer the rest of my life. I'm never stopping. That was my statement to God. And then the leader of the prayer said, Baruch Hu, and I started my prayers. And I got into Shemone Esra, into the silent meditation. And I'm telling you, I don't, I'm not saying this will happen to you, but maybe it will. All of a sudden, the thing just opened up. Like, literally, I, I, I could barely get out of Baruch, because Baruch, nine months worth of Baruch opened up to, like, layers upon layers and layers of what Baruch could be. And Atta opened up. By the time I step, took my three steps away from the king, you know, and to the left first, and to the right, first the left, because that's the, the divine presence, right? So we go left first to, to take leave of the divine presence on the right. We always start with the right. But here, because we're in front of the divine presence, we, we bow left. And then we go to the divine presence left by bowing right. Val kol Yisrael, you know, v'noyma amen. By the time I had pulled out of that silent prayer, five different Marivs had started and stopped, meaning had begun and finished while I was in my silent prayer. And it just kept going that way to the point where I had, I had anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour every time I did silent prayers. I missed lunch. I was, at that time, I was teaching at Asia, a student also at Asia. Lunch was after Mincha. I missed every lunch for a good half a year, more maybe even, 10 months. I missed lunch because I was still... By the time they had finished lunch, I was finishing Shemone Esri. And the, it went on like this for years. and I, Not years, for that year. And then, and then I slowly like boiled down the time to a zip file. You know, so I don't have to, like, open up every single word like that. And, and it's already been that way for two decades plus. So There's something about a commitment where you don't care what you're going to get. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to do, but 
You know, normally we only commit to something where we there's an upside. But there is such a thing as a commitment to something without an upside. I know that sounds strange. I mean, you, like anyone commit to things without an upside? I, I don't think so. I think, you know, no one's getting married without an upside. You know, no one's buying a car without an upside. No one's getting a job without an upside. Like we don't live there. Like that's not part of human existence is committing to things without an upside. But I discovered something many years ago, which with the great assist of Rabbi Lichtenstein, who I ran into before this, is, is that when it comes to mitzvahs, when it comes to observance as a Jew, is there actually is a huge upside, a huge upside to committing without an upside. But I mean really committing without an upside. Like I'm in, with, I'm in no matter what. And I don't care what I get out of it. Like, give me nothing. I'm still in. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fair weathered about this. Like, I don't care what the weather is. I'm in no matter what. Like a full on ironclad in. And I don't care about the upside. There's something magical about that. Now, I just want to mention, because this is kind of vending one's mind towards blind faith a little bit. So I want to just mention that. Um, that everything we're discussing here is only after someone's figured out that it's real. You know, don't, don't go for some kind of ironclad commitment with no upside for, until you know something's real. Like, it has to first be real. Once something's hit your real meter, you know, whatever your meter is of real, it's got to first hit the, you know, it's got to go all the way to the top of the real meter. When something's hit the top of your real mirror, then you can go in like that. <coughs> if something hasn't hit the top of your real mirror, an uh, example is uh, I run seminars. I've got a couple of seminar graduates in the room, actually. And so I run seminars. In Israel, they're in Hebrew, but in, outside of Israel, I run them in English. I, please, God, got one. In, my next one, I think, is in London, England, actually. Uh, please, God. I'm, like, fighting for this seminar because my staff's saying, like, no new places. And I'm like, new places. You said that to me last summer. And I'm like, we're going to new places. And I'm like literally fighting for the London seminar now because they're, they're trying to crash it in on me. And like, I understand, you know, uh, what do you call those people? <laughs> what do you call those people? Uh, administrators are not known for courage, you know. <laughs> they're just not known for courage. And, and so they're getting scared. I get nervous, and I get it. I totally get it. And then uh, over the 18 years of running this program, I've we've had crashes. You know, we've had, we've gone for new markets and failed. You know, we've also had great successes, but they're they're getting complete cold feet. And what do you guys say I do? What do you think I should do? They, their their whole thing is like next. They're doing next year, but they told me that last year. Next year, but what what greater market is England? England. I mean, of the five fears, rejection, failure, out of control, unknown, and pain and suffering, you know, where normally someone has one of those five, England, every British citizen has all five. On a scale of one to ten, like a ten. You know, and this seminar is there to, like, knock those fears out. You know, and, like, how can I not go to England? And Anyway, does it seem like I want to fight for this? Yeah, I want to fight for this. But there's another thing. I have a fringe benefit is that my, my number one city besides Jerusalem is Muncie, New York. 
But talking about like 12 hour flights and jet lag and, and like, you know what I'm saying? It's just England's, what, how long does it take to fly to England? It's like five hours. It's, it's one hour time zone difference. I mean, I could just show up there just for follow-ups. Meaning just to go follow people up, you know. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it's no-brainer. So, like, I want to get that market going already. But Okay, sorry I'm, sorry I'm doing this. I just used you all as my therapist just now. I mean, leave it to a narcissistic Californian to use his class as his therapist. But uh, but I I appreciate that. I think I want to do England. Yeah, I want to do that. Um. Anyway, but in the seminars, the whole seminar hinges on commitment. It hinges on commitment. There have been there have been seminars. You know, we're talking like close to 8,000 graduates, so it's a lot of seminars. And there have been seminars where I didn't run the commitment part up to snuff. Like, it wasn't where it should have been. And you literally watch how that seminar did not get where it was supposed to get. Because I I just didn't, I didn't, I don't know what was wrong with me. Maybe I was hungover. (laughs) I don't know what happened to me. But I did not run the commitment section of the seminar the way it was supposed to be. And I felt that. I remember going to bed that night going, the commitment part didn't, wasn't where it was supposed to be. And I don't know why I smoothed it over. I kind of let it go. And you just see the difference in the results of the participants. If the commitment circle, the commitment section, we call it the commitment circle. But if the commitment circle isn't glad, like lock, stock, barrel, the seminars is just, yeah, you might as well just send everybody home. So there's something very powerful when it comes to commitment. That I'm in no matter what. Everyone try those words. I'm in no matter what. Try that. I'm in no matter what. Imagine in your marriage. I'm in no matter what. Say that. Imagine with your children. I'm in no matter what. Imagine with your parents. I'm in no matter what. Try it. I'm in no matter what. Imagine you're, you're just your personal relationship with God. Nothing to do with Judaism. Just your personal relationship with God. I'm in no matter what. Try that. In no matter what. How about Judaism? I'm in no matter what. I'm in no matter what. So there's something magical about it where God just recognizes that. I mean, you, we know we just finished the seventh day of Passover. That's the special day where the sea splits. And our tradition is that before it even split, one knucklehead named Nachum Ben Aminad, I'm sorry to call him a knucklehead, but he just like ran out into the water. He didn't wait. He didn't wait. And when the water got up, not only to his mouth, his mouth it still hadn't split, when it got to his nose, it split. You know, he's like, he's just like, I'm going, man. He's like, heading out. I don't know what kind of swimmer he was. I think he was still on his feet, kind of going, I, this thing better split, because, you know, I don't know if he was much of a swimmer. But when he hit his nose and he was like, uh-oh, boom, the sleep, then it splits. And God just favors people who go for it like that. God favors people who are just like, they're in. You know, everyone say, I'm in. Amen. But say it with that kind of grunt. Yeah, I'm in. Amen. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even have to use the words. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's much more in the inflection than the words themselves. Yeah. One more time, let's give an I'm in, yeah. I'm in. (laughs) But it's it's that kind of I'm in that is where the magic is. And and 
and it has a momentum all to itself. Comes with all kinds of little gifts on the sides, and and uh, and it's again. I mean, not because I'm getting those gifts on the side, not because I'm getting the momentum, but it's just there's a magic to to that level of commitment. It's kind of like a tattoo, you know, <laughs> like, like that's forever, you know. It's kind of a weird example, but it's like you got to treat you. Maybe that's why tattoos are forbidden because we're supposed to be having that tattoo with God in our heart, you know, like like that kind of a forever type of thing where we're supposed to be like we don't do external tattoos because our a tattoo of a Jew's inside, Jew, Jews tattoo themselves within, you know, and, and we're we're internally tattooed. And so, therefore, an external tattoo would be like a joke compared to an internal tattoo. But, but imagine a person getting a tattoo in full sobriety, and they're just like, this is something I, I'm going for forever. You know, that, I mean, that's big, that's big stuff. And, and it's etched in there, and it's not going anywhere. And that itself has ability to float, float you through a lot. And the last thing I just want to mention is misinformation. A lot of people, especially those raised observant, have a lot of misinformation where, what I mean by misinformation, it's not really misinformation, that wasn't accurate, but what happens is you get a lot of cheerleading rabbis and, and uh, teachers and mechanchim, you get a lot of cheerleading educators, you know, educators with pom-poms. And you get these pom-pom educators who are like, we're going to feel it, we're going we're gonna to this, we're going to do we're going to try harder, and we're going to, you know I'm talking about, pom-pom educators. I think the girls fall victim more to the pom-pom educators than the, than the boys' schools. You know, the boys' schools are a little rougher, but the girls' schools, for sure, they're trying to like, you know, all the teachers there have pom-poms, and they're, they're just trying to get you to feel this, that, and the other, and not a good idea. You know, this... Uh, this is, uh, you know, it, it, that just I, I don't I don't need to go into it, but just to go in a tiny bit is that is that the girls who didn't feel it anyway now feel like there's something wrong with them, so that's not nice, you know. Maybe I'm how many girls have come up to me and said they feel and, and men said they feel spiritually impaired, you know, having finished the whole education system, never felt a thing. Okay, so that's thanks to pom pom educators, you know, because that's not what it's about, and the. Uh, and then the other thing is that, that you don't always feel it. And so, like, yeah, if they managed to convince someone that they were going to feel something, and they actually did. So who says you're going to feel it next time? You know, and so then it kind of breeds disappointment in the end. And, and God's always playing games with us. He gives you the light. He takes it away, you know. That's, that's how life works. I mean, haven't we all met someone who we're like, wow, that's the most amazing person I ever met. And so you develop a friendship with that person, but then all, all the light is gone. And then you have to rebuild to get to that again. And, and that doesn't come with a lot of light. And so that's, that's a general nature of, of, of inspiration. As inspiration comes in a flash, and then it goes away, and then you build towards it. Because God knows our psyche is we need to build towards something. We, we generally are motivated towards it. So, so God will often give us inspiration and take it away. That's normal. I wound up spending a lot of time on this momentum thing, and I don't, I don't know what time it is now. Oh, it's already after four. Blessings to everybody. Again, uh, the club is uh, Yomto Media Club. Anyone who likes my class, I really appreciate it. My goal is really just to get a lot of people to, to join it at the $10 mark. Um, just to come in at 10 bucks, set and forget. Like, I give a lot more than 10 bucks to a lot of different people that I believe in. 
and my, once in a while, my secretary is like, who are these people on your, you know, like set and forget list here? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, send me a list. And she sends me a list and I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that was about 10 years ago I put that person on my list. And you know, and then she's like, well, can I take them off? And I'm like, no. I'm going to put a little bit with people I believe make a difference. Putting a little bit of money with people I believe make a new difference. I just want to be one of the supporters of good things in the world. So, so that's really, I'm really, I mean, it's beautiful. Some people come in at 36 bucks. Some people come in at more. But my real goal is just 10 bucks a month from people who can set and forget. On the, on the website, it says student rate. <laughs> you know, meaning starving student, you know, can donate at least one burger and a, and a beer. You know, it's like a, this price of a burger and a beer per month towards maybe educating the world a little bit to get this world to be a greater place. Like a burger and a beer is worth of money a month towards it. I call it the student rate, but the truth is I don't care if some like CEO of a you know, Fortune 500 company puts 10 bucks a month. We, if we get enough people doing that, I've already hired then the media, um, the social media expert and a publicity person. I, I imagine it'll cost me around two grand a month uh, per person to hire a young whippersnapper who's good at this stuff. So, so I'm really just trying to get up to a couple grand a month so we can uh, make a big difference. So please join that club, media club. YomTobeMediaClub.com. Shalom, everyone. Credit card. Credit card, yeah. Credit card. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.